am Lynn Harris. And the last thing I prayed for was a pony, but <laughs> but also the health of some very dear loved ones. Hi, I'm Gina Green. And the last thing I prayed for was some resiliency for myself and my kids. Although I wish I'd, I wish I had prayed for a pony now. It hasn't happened yet. <laughs> <laughs> It's never too late. And we're alive. And are we? Yeah, back in the studio. Back in the stew, the 412. Mm -hmm. um, I went to college with these kids that were like rappers in college. And I was, I lived, oh wait, it doesn't matter. Basically, that was the line of one of That's their songs their back in the studio, line. the 412, because they were like dorm room 412. Wow, I love that. Are they still rappers or do they work in finance? One of them is, and one of them's a music producer. So yeah, they're still... Never give up on your dreams, people. That's the lesson here. Um, unless you're bad at what you do, and then you should give up. But if you're good, Absolutely. don't give up. Okay, I have a dog under my desk right now. So if you hear... I also have studio. a dog under my desk right now. <laughs> if you hear barking... Um, claws against the wood floor know that that's him and there's nothing we can do about it right now <laughs> it's been a while it's since been a while been on the mic if you will um I will I will <laughs> and may I ask do you have any life updates any like anything you need to share anything you need to get off your chest oh my gosh wow there's so many things that have happened Mostly I've just been working, writing, and uh, watching a lot of movies and TV during this time. I saw Dune in the theater Oh, last I'm going to do that this so weekend, probably. Fun. Movies are back, baby. Movies are back. I've been to the theater about like five times already, and I plan to go many more. We love that. What's new it, with you? It's pouring. It is pouring, pouring in Los right? Angeles. Yeah. Have it be known, pouring. I have a fireplace and I could hear the water drops like dripping into the fireplace. Oh, that's kind of cute. Do you ever it's light cute. it? cute. Yeah. Oh my God, how fun. Would love to come over and It's electric. Boogie, boogie, but it does light up. <laughs> oh my God. You know, it would be so, such a fun episode if we did an entire episode devoted to like dances and games that you do at bar and bought mistle parties. And then Coke and Pepsi. What, just like talk about them? Yeah. How did they start? Were there other contenders for good ones that never made it? What makes a really amazing dance party game? What doesn't? I love I it. Up that idea, so I, gotta think through I it. love it. Well, we'll take it to the polls. If the people want to hear about the games, we'll talk about the games. In the meantime, what's your Live Laugh Laheim for the week, bud? My Live Laugh Laheim is dogs. As many of you know, <laughs> this weekend I was dog sitting Arthur, JC and Jack's dog, and it brought so much joy into my life. Like, yes, there's a lot of downsides to having a dog, but like at the end of the day, they're so cute and they they're really so help with my anxiety. Cute. Oh, I yeah. love that. I love yes. that. And I'll just go ahead and piggyback off of you and just say my live laugh with Haim is having great friends you included that will watch my dog otherwise I wouldn't be able to go to my friend's weddings or go to Utah to hike or go to Solvang to taste wine or any of the other things that I do on the weekends when I need Arthur to say not with me so God what a bless. fun life you live God bless I try. I try okay our guests for today are Gina Green and Lynn Harris yeah from, from 
the um, Binsel Brief podcast. It's a forward podcast. You know about it because you listen to our podcast and we talk about it every episode. Um, we love it. We love them. They're two badass moms just living the dream. And our chat with them was really fun. Hey guys, we're JC and Jessica, and this is Pray For Us. Oh, hi. It's a podcast about practicing ancient religions in the modern day. We're talking about how we observe different faiths when it comes to holidays, relationships, food, and everything in between. Today, we're talking to Gina Green and Lynn Harris. Uh, Gina is a political strategist, writer, and consultant. Lynn is a creative strategist, producer, writer, and CEO of Gold Comedy. Together, they are the co-hosts of The Forward's new podcast, A Bintel Brief. You've heard about it on our podcast, and you're going to hear about it more today. So welcome to the show, Gina and Lynn. Welcome. Hi. Thank you. It's great to be to have here. you guys. Sorry I keep saying guys. I realize that's such a... It's like kind of a polarizing thing nowadays. Like, I don't know if you're up on your Survivor, but recently (laughs) the host of Survivor, Jeff Probst, stopped saying, come on in, guys. Um, What does he say? Because obviously it's, he just says, come on in now, because clearly guys is not Mm -hmm. gender neutral, but it's just Mm -hmm. the bad habit. Come on in, Survivors. Our show is kind of like Survivor. Yes, so, so, yeah. Every man for themselves. Here. It's a really good show. You can survive the marathon of Hagim, right? At the end of at the end of September, where were yeah. we? Who was standing? Still standing, exactly. There's a really good show called Dinette on produced in Brooklyn that's on YouTube. It's amazing. It's like diner but Dinette. And um like the movie about dudes talking. It's about women and non-binary folks talking in a diner. Anyway, one of the non-binary characters is trying in there's just a running thing where they're trying to think of a new word for it's instead of guys so now my husband and i say this which is what they said which is they come up to their friends and they go hi penguins oh my gosh <laughs> doesn't have the same ring to it <laughs> no no no. and the friends are like what and, and they're just like i'm just i'm just trying to find i'm just trying to find a new word you know <laughs> i would just like to point out though that as a southerner y'all is gender y'all neutral. is where yeah. it's at yeah totally i feel like a fraud when i say it though i'm from new york and like i do say it sometimes i have two bosses who are both from texas and they say it often but then when i say it I'm like, oh my god, I feel yeah. like dirty. I'm not supposed to say. I have it. the same thing. Yeah. I well, you know, it's funny because I I grew up here and didn't spend a lot of time here once I left um, high school and college, but now I'm back. And I think that when you're from the south and you go elsewhere, it's expected that you won't say it, that you won't have your accent pronounced, that like right. southernness is not an asset really? in many places. And so for many, up until very, very recently, I think that it was not okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I put them in air quotes, gentle listeners, um, to say y'all because it was Southern and Southerners had like the Southern accent is not one considers smart or particularly progressive or, you know, so it was tough. And now I think we're having a little bit of a renaissance. Yeah. A reawakening, a reawakening yeah, to it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Neutral and people can say it. Yeah. My dad's from Atlanta and he deliberately lost his accent. So he doesn't say any of that stuff at all. Exactly. But, anyway, but we digress. Where are you guys both 
from and where are you originally? Gina, do you want to go first since you were just talking about where you're from? Sure. Um, I actually just moved back to South Carolina after um, a few years in Connecticut. Um, Before that, I was in California for 10 years. So I say that I'm South Carolina born, raised, and now returned. Oh, I like that. Yeah, it's kind of cute. (laughs) Where in California were you? I was in the Bay Area in Oakland. Oh, very nice. Um, which is my husband's from Orange County. Wow. Um, and when we met in DC, he was like, I want to move back. And I was like, to Orange County over my dead body. And so <laughs> yeah. Oakland was our comp Oakland was our compromise, <laughs> which tells you a lot, I think. Orange County, I uh nope, don't like don't like going there. <laughs> it's very pretty. <laughs> too many too many Trump flags, it too is many pretty. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Pretty. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. <laughs> So gorgeous. It is pretty awkward silence. (laughs) Lynn, what about you? Where are you from? Well, I'm actually, I just realized I'm not only sitting right now in the house I grew up in, in Lexington, Massachusetts, but what is now my dad's office here was actually my room. I just realized that. Um, I mean, I knew that, but I just hadn't put it together. So I'm in my, I am actually um, in my childhood bedroom in, uh, in historic Lexington, which is, you can't see, but it's, you know, it's uh, gentle listeners. It's clearly not a shrine to me. It is now an office. It's very much an office. (laughs) But, But I have been in Brooklyn since 1994 wow so before all you people you know yeah you're the original Um, but 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 no but actually we live in the house that my husband grew up in that's so So, cool yes i just want to say i love frankel's delicatessen which is a newer place that's not in park slope but it's in brooklyn and for me for someone who lives in california That's like saying, I love the San Gabriel Valley. Like, you live in LA. I love SGV. (laughs) You know what? I stand by my statement, and it feels relevant because it's shoe food. Um, (laughs) Shoe food, yeah. Not kosher, though. Oh, it's not? Mm. Wow. We'll get into that later. There are so few delis that are, like, kosher kosher. They serve pastrami with, like, cheddar cheese. They serve, like, pastrami milk. Yeah, yeah. It's It's, like, not a kosher deli. It's just... Jewish inspired. I mean, that's not even kosher style. No, no, it's not I wish kosher I could style. See, I wish everyone who's listening could see the faces that we all just made when JC made like the, the you made like, uh, you made the sandwich with your hands yes, too. Sure like, as you said, there was cheese on it. Yeah. I could, wow. I could visualize that. Do both of you keep kosher? JC, I know does not keep kosher. I do. do. I do not. I, I abjure um, pork and shellfish and dairy with meat, although it's not relevant because I don't really eat meat very much okay. but but i do have like a visceral it, my my reaction to like putting cheese on meat is just is is it's one of those like culturally jewish right. things that yeah. i have because i don't do that practice anyway because it doesn't come up but like i just have a thing like why would you do that you know it just doesn't f- seem right to me except for the tuna melt i know that's i know fish isn't meat in terms of fresh mm. root but like i think a tuna melt mm. with a, a meat it's a meaty type item with cheese i think is fair yeah. game Oh yeah, but it is fair game. Don't even talk to me about the. Uh, don't even just. I can't. I'm gonna need I'm to. Totally down. gonna make a tuna melt this week. I haven't had one in forever. That sounds so. I good. can't say the same. That I made really one like good. Last week. Um, but <laughs> it's so funny that you asked about keeping kosher and like cooking and like we're talking about like meat and you just said meat and I was just thinking that like this past actually. Uh, Rosh Hashanah, I made a standing rib roast. It's got like bone sticking out of it. It's like a Flintstone meat. Like my husband yeah. kept joking. He was like, did Fred Flintstone cook that? And I realized that I didn't grow up keeping kosher. I didn't grow up Jewish. And I didn't grow up when I'm making meat 
because I keep kosher now, I'm cognizant of the price of it. And so I would never like buy a showcase meat because yeah. it's really fucking expensive. And what if I screw it up? Oh yeah. Right? So for <laughs> so years cute. I avoided it and I wanted to try it. And then I, we were sending my son off to college or our son off to college. And I was like, I'm gonna make a really nice meal for Hagim before he goes. And I said, so I bought this and I made it and it was tremendous. But my husband is super picky and he's like, he's super picky has a very like receptive palate if you will he tastes it and he goes choose it hmm and then he says you know how they've said that the meat melted in your mouth like butter yeah that's what this is but it wasn't a compliment from him he was like this is weird my meat should be my meat should be this that or the other and it was like whoa okay all right so my son and i isaac ended up eating a lot of standing rib roast because we enjoyed the texture. That it sounds like that's how it's supposed yeah. to be cooked though. Yeah, exactly. that sounds like how to it's be, supposed but to But my served. husband's so picky and has to have everything a certain way and the way he remembered it. And so, right. hmm. So what you're saying is you have a refined palate and your husband does not. <laughs> <laughs> he does though. It's this weird thing. Like if you all come over for dinner we'll one to. day, which you're totally welcome to when <laughs> you come you. over, when you come to Columbia, South Carolina, as everyone does all the time, <laughs> you'll see that he is super picky and can pick up on like the most like minute flavors in a dish like mm, tastes like there's tarragon and blood orange in this dish or something <laughs> and it's like how did you do that oh, that's wild i mean just a, just vibe check are we hungry so hungry honestly, I haven't had honestly no i had a huge dinner last night and i'm like so full from dinner um, and I had a huge cup of coffee, so I am not hungry yet, ladies, but I will be very soon. I'm hungry always, <laughs> whether or not I've eaten. <laughs> okay, Lynn, what religion did you grow up with? Jewish. I grew up with, um, in my family, in my parents' reform synagogue okay. um, here in Lexington, Massachusetts at Temple Isaiah. But my father converted had converted he also as i said is from, from the south and his family was southern baptist but it didn't it never really was his jam he wasn't looking to convert but since it sort of all came up with my mom he actually got very interested and committed and and still is but my on my mom's side they were from uh, her parents were immigrants from poland and very much of the kind of of the like intellectual um, at least their, and their larger family was socialist, sort of the, that intellectual track that didn't, that actually was not synagogue going, mm, um, right. was, you know, religious and observant and uh, Jewish in all of a hundred different ways. So my mother didn't know how not to be around Jews and Jewish community, but didn't think about joining a synagogue until they moved, until she moved from New York City where everything and everyone was Jewish. Mm. And, and every time I mean, it was, she didn't live in a, a uniquely Jewish neighborhood, but you, she lived in a Jewish, she lived in a Jewish a world of, you know, it, it, within yeah. a very diverse right. neighborhood. And when they moved to, when she moved to Boston and then later to Lexington, where we live now, she was like, I got to get a synagogue, I guess, because um, <laughs> there are Jews here, but like she wanted the kind of built-in community. Right. And yeah. she just, but she didn't know how, like she didn't know how to synagogue at all. <laughs> the famous micro story in our family was just that when, um, when I entered Hebrew school and um, there was a ceremony around um, Shavuot for the, for the, you know, the, the kiddos um, starting Hebrew school. And they told my mom, um, you should try and teach her the Shema for the service. And my mom said, what's a Shema? <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, so, you know. Yeah. But she like knew everything else, you know, because she grew up. But yeah. anyway, so there was just like synagogue Jewish. She didn't was not 
um, in her world yet. But then she and my dad became big muckers at the synagogue and my dad like helped run the library and, you know, my mom did all the other things. And so that was my definitely a much longer answer than you asked for, but no, okay. we're here for Painted it. A picture. Painted a picture. For those of you who don't know, Shema is like the most important prayer in Judaism. And it's pretty simple. We won't say it now, but it's beautiful as well. <laughs> we can say it later if you guys are interested, <laughs> if your penguins are inclined. <laughs> um, so Gina, yeah, what religion did you grow up with, Gina? I didn't grow up, I grew up adjacent to Catholicism mm-hmm. and Southern Baptistness. What would you call it? Like, that wouldn't be Southern Baptism. It'd be Southern Southern Baptism? Is it just regular so. baptism if you're in the South? <laughs> yeah, I feel like baptism is a ver I feel like baptism is a this and whatever. So I grew up adjacent to those. My mom uh grew up Catholic and my dad grew up um Baptist and I'm the youngest of three kids and my brother and sister are both significantly older than I am. So I sort of came in late in the game, if you will. Mm-hmm. And as a result, didn't wasn't sort of bound or expected to necessarily go and attend and be as deeply involved. Yes, I did go to church on certain Sundays and gave an Easter speech at, which was a thing in churches. Um, mm-hmm and would go to mass with my grandparents on Christmas Eve. So like I have certain memories, but like uh, Lynn's dad never, it wasn't really my jam. I mean, I did what I was supposed to do up until about middle school or so, um, fifth or sixth grade. And then I kind of pieced out. And your family was cool with that. They were like, no pressure. You don't have to do what we're doing. Yeah, I mean, thankfully, I suppose. And then also no resistance later on when Judaism is what I found. So I guess that was a good sign back in middle school when they were like, oh, my gosh, you've got to, you know, keep going to church and keep going. You know, they didn't push that. And so that was great. That was a good sign that I didn't know would portend the future um, in fifth grade, but it did. That's I mean, that's amazing. And that's I mean, I don't want to use the word lucky, but you're so quote unquote blessed to have a family that was so supportive in that way. But at what point did you find Judaism? How old were you? It was actually um, around that time, in fact, because um, I don't know if either of you um, are familiar with the PBS um, documentary Eyes on the Prize that began airing in the early 80s. um, And it was a documentary of the civil rights movement. And when that came out, it was instant like, required viewing Mm -hmm. um, in my house. And I remember even before then, even before the sort of moving image that I could see in Eyes on the Prize, I'd seen other footage and other images, but really was like, wait, who are the like, who are the white people? And I was asking like, who was Heschel? Like, you know, asking like essentially because he was one of the more visible characters who weren't black Mm -hmm. in that era. Um, We know now that obviously there were pl- there are many other Jews also involved in the civil rights movement other than Heschel but we also run the risk of overstating Jewish support and engagement in the civil rights movement so I don't want to do that either but I was asking this question you know who were who were those folks and as we and they were a lot many many of them were were Jewish leaders and so there sort of began my interest in Judaism from not a religious a discrete religious practice but from more of a 
cultural justice oriented uh, practice that is how I got started mm -hmm. learning. That's so cool. I feel like so often we talk to, you know, individuals who found Judaism later in life because of just like, not just like, but it's usually because of a partner or because yeah. of a close friend mm -hmm. or something, not because of something yeah. so historically iconic and right. like genuine curiosity. I feel like people also come to Judaism if something really bad happens to them. Like, and they mm. are like they have a disease or a difficult diagnosis and then like they turn to religion so it's nice to see or hear about something a little more like mm. positive and organic you know and i did ultimately meet someone who was jewish but i didn't meet him looking for a jewish guy i met him in a bar in dc playing pool on free pool night so like Cute. you know it was it feels like it was supposed to happen <laughs> That's beautiful. I love that. We don't like talk about this that often, but now that I'm reflecting on my time in Nifty, which is a Jewish youth group, I feel like <laughs> social justice is actually like a huge <laughs> part of Judaism. Like that was like a pillar of like my Jewish education. And I just like completely forgot mm. about that until now. But I guess it does depend what kind of Jew you Especially are. Especially for the reform movement. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I would say like it's definitely built in, which is, I believe, the largest movement in the United States. Oh, has really? the most I it has the it. Len, do you can you confirm or deny that i, I believe let me, just, the let, me just, let me just text my husband <laughs> yeah, text, text the rabbi text the rabbi <laughs> got him on got him on speed text i do believe that the reform movement is the largest in population so. and that right now orthodoxy is growing at a faster rate than reform and conservative i think ref the reform movement has the most people in it gotcha. um and i think that's part of the reason why at least I feel like there is sort of a predominant, a there's a predominant presence of social justice-ness within yeah. the Jewish community because like you said, the reform movement has definitely held up social justice as a pillar of their of, of their practice mm -hmm. for, yeah, I don't forever. Know any, yeah, I can't I can't really even disentangle them right yeah. for myself. You yeah. know, like I just I remember growing up, you know. Right. At the synagogue, we were there was the issue of the refuseniks, you know, the synagogue with there was always people that we were from, from Russia. There was always the people from the Soviet Union. There were, there were always people that we were like housing. There were always drives for something. That's less that's more community service. But there were you know, there was and also with, I was in NFT also and there was always some sort of service or justice component to our to our gatherings, to our activities other than, you know, skiing and dancing and, you know, whatever else, whatever yeah. else we did. <laughs> <laughs> um, or at Eisner. But um, yeah, it's sort of in, like I, I can't it's it's just it's in, it's inseparable yeah. to, to me. They're just threaded. They're just threaded together, especially also in my in my family and also in my husband's family where we neither of us comes from religious stock mm -hmm. but my my father-in-law um and my mother-in-law met in in Hashemir Hatzair in the in the socialist mm -hmm. justice movement the so youth socialist movement and were never like they were not comfortable with synagogues and not like not not like you know not yuck yeah. but like it just wasn't not yeah. their jam but like my father-in-law was you know made aliyah and you know served in the Israeli army and had, you know felt that level of um connection and you know talk I mean that's like uh, you know and that was sort of in service of the Jews and, and the social movement um in a way that so i just and same with you know other folks in my family but similar so i just don't even know it without that right not that i can't have a pure religious experience that has nothing to do with 
reproductive rights, you know, or anything, mm-hmm. but, but I, but I, but, but writ large, I don't, I, I, I can't untangle them. And the op and the opposite would be true. I would say for the other end of the religious ideological spectrum of, of orthodoxy or modern orthodoxy and all of those pieces too, is that social justice isn't right. Right. Intertwined in modern orthodox day schools and in synagogues. And in fact, you know, you think about Uri Lutzedek, which was an organization founded for people who are considered themselves modern orthodox and also progressive was founded about 10 years ago at this point i believe so that's a relatively recent development and then you think about torah trump's hate which is a more digital based organization which came out of the trump era there's really it's not people who are orthodox like it's not we don't get social justice in the same way um and that's where i consider i consider my i say that i run in modern orthodox circles and i'll tell you that it's been really hard to run in those circles since the rise of the trump era right and i still think we're in it to be clear oh yeah for Um, sure but like that's been really hard because these are spaces where religiously i feel very comfortable personally and politically and quite frankly like at this point culturally too like just socially it's really hard. The Orthodox communities have been growing at a more rapid rate than any other sect. Why do you have any like idea why that is or what is drawing people to that right now? My guess is that, so ooh, I am not a Jewish uh, demographer or anything, but my guess would be that there's reproduction, right? So there's they're probably reproducing mm-hmm. at a faster rate because of how important they view having children and like i think so there is that and i think that because they're probably that sect that sector of the of um judaism is is does find it does value reproduction and is having kids at a higher rate than others and other sects aren't necessarily attracting people either Mm -hmm. so in some ways the growth is sort of internal and so that's why they're growing in a faster clip hmm. demographers correct me send all your comments and <laughs> cheers and jeers and cries of outrage to jessica and jc yes, we'll forward them to me um but i um, that would be my guess okay. is that the other two sects aren't attracting people new and orthodoxy is actually giving us new people i thought you were gonna say it's because of my unorthodox life on netflix but that works too (laughs) (laughs) which i haven't seen yeah i haven't seen all the angry letters are about right now (laughs) it's because of netflix you guys i don't even think they got renewed for season two we don't know what's going on they just announced it i just saw it that it's coming back for season it's coming back for another season i just saw that all right i feel i feel medium about that neither here nor there i just whatever i don't get me started um <laughs> i guess the question that i have for people is like was it orthodoxy the representation of orthodoxy the problem or the representation of judaism the problem i think the I problem think... was the representation of wealth like i yes. thought it was a mm. little especially right now to see that like on display it was not something i wanted to see because it didn't highlight orthodoxy or judaism to be quite honest it just represented hmm. this one family like wearing louis vuitton and like right. doing whatever the heck they do every day and it didn't really dive into faith or what how they used to observe and how they observe now like they kind of just picked and prodded and you know talked about wearing dresses versus pants or you know mm-hmm. they just picked 
little aspects and then didn't go into deeper explanation about anything. So it just felt very above the surface and kind of like, what's the point of this show? But entertaining. Definitely kind of. entertaining. <laughs> but it, so it was entertaining. For a couple of episodes. Like, and then for a couple of I episodes. I didn't finish it. Yeah. It didn't have staying power for me. So I don't feel bad that I missed no, it. You're no, not missing don't. out. Yeah, same here. But now I'm curious. Now I'm me curious. <laughs> <laughs> you can watch it on like 2.5 speed and just like speed through the first episode and see what you think. <laughs> right. All I know is these people talk really fast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you penguins, you all. Uh, you all host a podcast together how did you get connected we've never met you've never never actually met no it's redonkulous um (laughs) we are waiting for the day there was one magical week but it was not good magic when gina was in brooklyn and it was the exact week that i was somewhere else i don't know and who remembers time is a flat circle um it was basically a professional shit of like we were just we were long story short boring story short we were just we were kind of set up and they were like hey you two try we both know folks the forward we both have you know lest you think it's sheer nepotism we also have sort of skin and skin and related games mm-hmm. neither not necessarily podcasting but you know related Gina does strategy which I think is the same as advice just um, <laughs> um, you know telling people that you know this suggesting the smart next smart moves for their goals right and I've done advice columns and but we also have you know very different things about us and very similar things about us etc cetera, etc cetera. they were like these two might get along so they had us do um, whatever the audio version of screen tests are these days like a chem and, test uh, oh that's so funny and yeah and um, but did you call it a chem test is that chemistry test um, if you have your lead already cast and they're looking for a second lead you after two or three auditions you come in to read with the lead to see if you have chemistry and you call it a chem test yeah it makes total mm-hmm. sense it makes total sense and i think that is actually what happened because yeah. lynn was i think there were i don't know what the process was before me but lynn was sort of like had gone through testing well before i had ah. and was and the forward was like, oh, Lynn's our Lynn's one of our gals for sure. And then Lynn knows the periodic table. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, and so they were like, okay. And, and then and then they brought me in, and then I did this. I did something similar. I talked to some folks, and then we did a chem test, I guess, which was a test episode, which was really fun but never made it to the podcast waves. What do you call them? The radio waves? The RSS feed? Podland. <laughs> it didn't make it to Podland. And the question that we got was about, it was sex party rabbi, remember? The congregant had found, oh, yeah. had gone to a sex remember? party and, yeah. saw their, and saw their rabbi there. Okay, we need that episode rabbi immediately. Spouse. Oh. No, it was the rabbi. Right, they saw the they saw the rabbi. A congregant saw their rabbi at the sex party, and the spouse of the rabbi wasn't with the rabbi. That's juicy. Mm -hmm. I can't believe that didn't make the floor. I mean, the thing was, we get so many of those letters. The sex party. I mean, it's a dime a dozen. The sex party rabbi. It wasn't wasn't outstanding. No, J.K. I uh, I don't know. know. It was our very first one. Like we were literally testing it out. It was probably like we didn't have our good mics yet it was not what the forward probably would have wanted to put out as one of their first first season. Season. right exactly yeah. but it was a lot of fun 
All right, well, petition to the forward to release that as a bonus episode. Simply so Jessica and I can listen to it. Bonus sex party rabbi. So the, the format of the podcast is people send in questions, you answer, and then you have like experts come in and give advice as well. And people, yeah. how do they... How do the questions come to you? Well, just one quick nuance is that what we love about the experts, um, including Hana, who is the Hana Pollock, who is the archivist for the forward, is that they don't they 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 kind of indirectly weigh in on the on the answers that we on the you know the paths and answers that we suggest, but they also more importantly they they kind of help us speak to the larger issues that we perceive and and sort of bring out of the letters. Like instead of you know sitting only on what should they do in strategy and tactics, they're like this one's about community, this one's about trust, this one's about you know this one's about uh, secrets, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, right. and they help us bring in a Jewish context or just a larger sort of expert thematic context. Or in Hannah's case, they this is I love this. She helps. She finds letters that from the archives from the forwards archives in Yiddish and reads them partly in Yiddish and then in English. And and then we talk about how the letters fall on a, con- a continuum or the questions are, et- are you know specific in many ways, but then eternal in others, yeah. whether in a Jewish sense or in a, in a, in an everybody sense. But other than that, we, we, you know, you can send us your questions at, um, at bintel at forward.com. Uh, <laughs> wink, wink. Um, Wait, did you not remember the voice? You haven't memorized the voicemail number yet, Lynn? No, I was vamping because I actually can't think of it. We don't remember the number. <laughs> Do people call you? We had a number. Can... No one called. Yeah, we deactivated Let's be real. It. Did anyone call? No, people left, vo- people they did. Do oh, nice. left voice messages. Well, you're one of the lucky ones. <laughs> but, but it's also true that like in the big beginning we were scrapping for questions like you know we we weren't out yet Mm -hmm. we weren't out yet and we weren't supposed to tell anyone Mm -hmm. that we weren't uh, that we weren't out yet so we were like trying to uh we're trying to call questions from our friends but without telling them who we were and what we were doing um but now we're getting as the season progressed you know, and now we're, and we've closed out the season, um, season two, hopefully starting up very soon. But, you know, we got to the end of the season, the questions started getting juicier and they were from people we didn't know anymore. And they were like, oh, this is interesting. So we're really looking forward to season two to digging into some of those questions that came in toward the end. Oh, that's so exciting. Yeah. Ready? It's uh, 201-540-9728. <laughs> there you go. 201-540-9728. And the fun part with leaving us a voicemail is that you can just like go on and tell your story and, 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 and not think as much about like, how will I write this? You know? Right. And, and we might even consider, you know, putting um, snippets of um, of you on the air. What is the craziest question or like the wildest story aside from sex party rabbi that you've been, that's been submitted to you? The one that might fit your answer, might fit the question in a, in a slightly different way is, was not, was actually not an unusual question, but it was presented to us and written so beautifully that it stood out as kind of, as also like an epic poem um, mm. and um, and really, and, it, and really just a beautiful piece of, of text with so many layers, um, which is like kind of a, you know, which you're like, I asked for wilds. I'm like, okay, um, text. But in any case, um, it's the most recent one, and it's the story of um, a, a grandmother. It's a, written from a perspective of a, of a new grandmother who is uncomfortable with the religious life choices that her daughter is making. Which I mean, I mean, joking about sex party rabbit. This one really is a, you know, this one really is extremely common. Mm-hmm. 
and and but she added just the his, sort of the historical and psychological details and context and layers in such a beautiful way. Um, we were like, this is a long letter. We're going to read it because it's just it's it's just it just told so many stories at once about mm -hmm. um, about Judaism, about families, about secrets, about about the um, anxiety about who what. What does it mean to be a Jew? What does it mean to be religious? What does it mean to be a grandmother? What is it? And it was just all in there um, so beautifully. So yeah, definitely not wild, but um, very. And we brought in two guests for that episode because it was really big. There were major themes. You know, it's not just about the question usually, but it's about what the question says about all of us. And so that was huge. I will say Sex Party Rabbi was kind of interesting <laughs> in terms of wildness. But I also feel like, you know, to also go in the other direction around going the direction that Lynn was just going in with with that episode. There was an early episode from an, an older gentleman who hadn't had children yet. That one that one was so wild, if you will, because we don't get to hear from men who regret not having yeah. children as much as we often hear from women. And so to hear a man to read the feelings of a an older gentleman who felt like that was out of reach for him mm. and that he yeah. really missed out. And you could feel in his letter that regret and that sadness mm. that he might not be able to create the life he always thought he wanted that's not something we get from men True. very often in this right. society and so it was really interesting and eye-opening to get it what was just eye-opening for me is that you called him an older gentleman yet he is my age <laughs> didn't he call himself that I don't think so. <laughs> but also, Lynn, also Lynn, okay, let me just say, we are older. <laughs> My ass is old. Your ass is old. We're still doing it and kicking it, but like, it's like, let's be real. And would you have a baby right now, today? Not I wouldn't do it for all the money in the world. <laughs> right. How many children do you each have? Two, at last count, two. Okay. Four that I know oh, of. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Always funny. Always funny. <laughs> what what ages are they? Mine are 12 and 14. So mine are 18, about to be 14, soon to be seven and 10. Wow, that's quite... That's a spectrum of ages. Sure is. It There's is. There's a lot going on. At least on. now I'm out of diapers. Now yeah. I'm out of diapers. Like at least... But what about the kids? <laughs> uh, <laughs> are they, are your children supportive of... Your podcast, are they listeners? Like, what's their vibe? Well, my son um, usually lets me use his room for his, so for he's his, a producer. his the most podcast. <laughs> I said, so he's a producer. He's a, mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah, he's a, right. He gets produced. He demanded producer credit, which was like, wow, you're only 12. Impressive. But, um, but, uh, I mean, they're kind of vaguely interested without being committed to being interested. Sure. Like they think right. it's kind mm -hmm. of like, like mommy, mommy's name is on that thing. But I'm like, you guys should listen. They're like, no, thanks. <laughs> Similar, like my, my older son will come back home and tell me, hey, my friend's parents said they heard you here. They did this or that or the other, but he doesn't really listen to podcasts and he's the kid most likely to listen to me in general, but not, uh, not in Podland. He's like, I can get you at home. Why would I? Yeah, fair enough. Exactly. Why would I spend more time <laughs> listening to you? I think the only thing that really impressed my son was my son does. Um, he's a, a very young. He's an emerging drag artist, um, and he's really good at it. And he is super excited that um, that the forward 
the forwards get one of the guests at the forwards gala um is ms cracker uh, one of his favorite drag queens and um and gina and i co-host the gala oh, so man. um so he's like did you interact or will you interact or did you with, with ms cracker and i was like no, no. <laughs> forget it then <laughs> talk to me when you have you have nothing to offer basically me. i will say going back to the thing of age i do you think being a certain age qualifies you for giving advice more so than other things? Like you've lived enough life to have all these different experiences. And I, I think there's a lot of value in that. Whereas like if JC and I were giving advice, people would be like, this is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> but if you were giving, but y'all have been in Hollywood for a little while, right? Yeah. So if you were giving like specific advice to emerging starlets, I bet I agree people with would that. be like, oh yeah. Like, I think it's important to like, you know, find where your excellence yeah. is. And I think any, I mean, you yeah. know, to Lynn's point, Lynn has said all the time that like, it's not that that it's almost not the advice itself it's how you can it's the process you go through to get to it and like what you're bringing to the giving of advice rather than the specific things that you say to do because not everyone's going to be able to necessarily do the explicit things you say and they could still do all of the explicit things 10 people could do all of those things in that same situation have 10 different results mm -hmm. right because yeah. we're all different people so it's like go ahead start giving advice yeah i did Watch i wrote and um i co-created an advice <laughs> column in my 20s that i that i wrote and be, that became very popular on the early internet and um called breakup girl and i was young i was young then and i think um then it was two things it was writing in the voice of a character because it was the voice of a um of a superhero um who was the only superhero who uh, who can uh, hear heartbreak and you know oh, men broken hearts? Yeah. So it wasn't jokey. It was funny, but it wasn't um, it wasn't a it wasn't a humor column. It was real, but it, but it was in her voice. Number one and number two, it came when I I really thought about this a lot because I was young. What I believed then and believe now is that um, in addition to what Gina said, it's um, it's the process and it's also the principles. What principles and values are you bringing to the mm. situation? Are you the advice giver bringing to the situation? Totally. Someone else may have different ones that are other, that are equal, that are equally valid, but if you bring a set of principles like um, treat everyone else like a human being, you know, even if you don't like them, doesn't always mean you have to be nice, but like assume the hu the basic humanity of every other person. That's a, that can actually generate yeah. um, a, a, a series of, of advice steps. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. and or or you know, basic fundamental principles. And if you generate your advice from there, you don't have to be you don't have to be the eighty year old guy at the end of the bar who's seen a few things. You know, you can be young and principled. I love that. Mm. Do you feel like you ever get asked a question and you're like, we're not qualified, and we don't have the people who are qualified to answer this question or do you always figure out a way i think there are some i think there are legitimately some questions that are about okay like a world that you that i don't know well enough to opine on past a set of principles mm -hmm. that we would bring in like an expert mm -hmm. to so for example like um i don't have you know i don't know like i'm making this up but let's say someone asked us a question about like that had to do with the nuances of working in the restaurant industry. Yeah. Like, I don't know anything about that. Now I can yeah. give, I can, we can talk about basic values and basic principles and see what 
what makes steps steps at what makes sense at the level of humanity. Mm-hmm. But I might say something I might say something really dumb that is that sounds nice but is not actually actionable in the restaurant industry. So yep. that's an example. I mean, that's so we would want to bring in. We would definitely in that case be like, well, let's talk to you know our friend the restaurant manager um, and see what she <laughs> right. has to say to add to and or add layers or maybe even uh, uh, argue with us about what we think is right. In your own lives, when you have a dilemma, who do you go to for those questions? Is it Judaism? Is it your rabbi, a parent, a friend? Often it's my it's a rabbi who is also my husband. So that's <laughs> handy. Um, depending, it was my mom, depending. Not, didn't tell her everything. Um, and also, you know, a couple of best friends who are like my my circle, my advice, my advice circle. Right. I would say there's a, a, a small advice circle for me that um, there's, I'm kind of picky about my advice. <laughs> and so like lot tons of people that um, I love and cherish. And also like, it's actually a small number of people that I, when I think about it, that I go to regularly. Mm-hmm. Now, to Lynn's point that she just made about, you know, the restaurant industry, and if we got a question from um, a manager or a server or whomever, we wouldn't, ne- we might not necessarily know how to handle that. Although I did, I did work in restaurants many, many years ago. I would go to specific people for specific advice. If something were happening, mm-hmm. there might be a situation where there's someone that I wouldn't normally necessarily go to. They're not in my go-to back pocket, but oh, they know this agency of government or they know this type of nonprofit in a way that I'm like, oh, actually they can be really useful and helpful at this point in time. So I think that I'm always strategizing. And so even when I'm looking for the right advice, I'm picking picking and choosing exactly who's gonna be able to give it. Yeah, that's smart. I feel like I do a similar thing where I'm like, okay, who is this most relevant to? But I do <laughs> find myself like wishing, like I wish that I could just like go to it. Like I don't have a rabbi or a, a sage we like kind of do. We if we needed to reach out to Rabbi, rabbi Alex, Alex I feel like I feel like he's like our rabbi. Wait, can I just say non sequitur? Rabbi Alex Kress is a, a rabbi who we had on the show in our very early stages. And I was driving around in my neighborhood the other day, and I there's a banner that I see his name and picture, and it's like welcome to our congregation, and he's now the rabbi at the congregation like a few blocks away from me i was like i have to we should go i know i was like i didn't even know that there was a temple here so that's a sign i think it is a sign sign. a literal sign and it's a literal actual (laughs) sign (laughs) oh my gosh i love that we have to go it was wild we'll have to tag him in this episode so he knows that we were talking about him. <laughs> that we talk about him. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> but it's nice to have like that person who you go to where you're like, I know they're going to give me sound advice. It might not be, as my therapist says, there are no right or wrong decisions or answers. Well, mostly decisions, not answers. Actually, Hamlet said that. So your therapist is a... <laughs> oh my God, plagiarism. Plagiarist. But someone who can <laughs> lead you toward a resolution that you're comfortable with. Like, it's nice to have that person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I feel like we learned so much. And I'm 
definitely encourage people to, to go check out the podcast. You can get it wherever you get your pods, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Everywhere. We use Spotify because it's free. We haven't been saying that, but we're supposed to say that. Yes. But yeah, a pencil brief, it's great. Episodes are like, you know, 30 minutes long. So if you have a yep. quick little drive, you mm-hmm. can just pop one on get more of these two lovely ladies but it's been so wonderful having you thank you thank you it's a pleasure it was really great to be here thanks for joining us gina and lynn be sure to check out eventful brief wherever you get your pods you can follow them on social media at gina green that's gina with two n's and lynn harris at harris lynn and gold comedy if you're a fan of the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or listen for free on Spotify and don't forget to rate in the US. If you want to support our show financially, check out our anchor page. Follow us on Insta at Pod. This podcast has been mastered and mixed by the one and only Josh Fisher. Hey, Josh. We love you, Josh. <laughs> <laughs>